guys can grab a seat this morning. Well, welcome uh, to week one of Duck Dynasty. Um, this new series is going to blend uh, faith, southern culture, and beards uh, together in a magical blend. Maybe not a magical blend, but hopefully in a way that will teach you something about what it means to live a faithful life, uh, what it means uh, to develop strong families, what it means uh, to be one people in Christ and one people in God. Um, if you didn't know it, it's hunting season. Anybody hunt here in the room? We got any hunters in the room? We got a few hunters. Okay. If you didn't know it was hunting season, what you need to do is go to Walmart. And uh, when you get inside of Walmart, go to the left-hand side of the store. About halfway back, there's this section there called the, the sports section. And for most of the year, it's got like baseballs and footballs and soccer balls and tennis rackets. But from about August, let's be honest, from about July all the way until uh, mid-February, it changes color. It changes with the leaves. Uh, (laughs) It changes color and it goes to green and gray and brown. It's because of all the camo that invades that section. So we are uh, sort of at the start of of deer season. Um, And so this is a big time of year. This is a big time of year for a lot of people. And so we thought that it might be fun um, to talk about faith and talk about Duck Dynasty Um, at the same time. So we're going to have a little bit of fun in this series. Are you okay with fun? Okay, all right. You didn't come to church to be bored. If you want to be bored, I'll preach much, I'll preach longer sermons. Um, So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to play a little game called Name That Beard, okay? Name That Beard. And the way this is going to work is we're going to show a beard up on the screen, and if you know who it is, just shout it out, okay? Like, everybody look at your neighbor, Look, everybody look at your neighbor and say, I'm sorry. I'm about to get loud. Okay? All right. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Let's show that first beard. Just shout it out. Willie. Willie. That's Willie Robertson. Let's see the second. Willie Robertson right there. Yeah, the boss hog himself uh, with, <laughs> with the USA bandana. That's one of my favorite things about him. Uh, always got a bandana on. All right, let's do that next beard. Ooh, this is a tough one, right? All right, let's see the second one. That's actually a tree with moss growing in it. Um, so it was, a, it was a good try, but yeah, sorry. There's red bugs and stuff in that, so you don't want any of that. All right, so let's go to the next one. This is a good one. Ooh, all right. If you say, if you think it's Cy, uh, shout now. Cy, all right, if you think it's Phil, shout now. Phil, okay, we think it's Phil. Let's see who it is. It's Phil. Very good. Way to go, Phil. So you guys... You guys watch a lot of Duck Dynasty. <laughs> All right, let's see the next one. Well, I think we got two more. Two more, all right? Cy. You know, the thing I love about Cy's beard is he's got like one half black, you know, and then one. How do you do that? How do you grow facial hair? Anyways, all right, so last one. Jace, Jace. All right, that's Jace. All right, so on the count of three, what I want you to do is, is on the count of three, just say who your favorite character, who your favorite Robertson is um, on the show. Are you ready? You guys ready? One, two, three. Yeah, that's my favorite too. That's awesome. That's so good. I love him. Um, my favorite character in the show. Uh, one of the things I really do love uh, about Duck Dynasty is just how different everybody in the family is. Now, from the outside looking in, when, when people first start this show, you look at the show and you think, 
What is this about? It's a bunch of rednecks living in Louisiana that have beards and they call ducks and they're multimillionaires because of this duck call that, that Phil invented. Um, what are, you, know, you look at them and you're like, it's just a bunch of rednecks doing redneck stuff in the middle of the woods. I'm like, I've got cousins like these people. Um, <laughs> they're closer to me than that, actually, in terms of relations. But, um, but yeah, you look at them and you're like, what are these people? They've all got to be this way. But it turns out inside of the Robertson family, there's all kinds of of different characters. I mean, you've got Willie, who they call Boss Hog, because he's all about the business, right? He's all about making money. He's all about doing the next thing that's going to help the business succeed. You know, he tries Mallard Merlot and buys a vineyard. Have you seen this episode where he buys a vineyard because he wants to take the next step with the business? Like, you go from duck calls to wine in, in one single step. Um, I don't know how that works, but that's what he does. He's all about the business. And then you've got Jace, and Jace's character is totally opposite of Willie. Willie, uh, excuse me, Jace um, is all about getting out of the duck call room and uh, hunting frogs. He's got, a, he's got a, um, a fascination with frogs and he loves to go frog hunting. And so he goes and tries to catch frogs all the time, much to Willie Chagrin, who is, you know, trying to get him to work. Then you've got Uncle Cy, right? You've got Uncle Cy. And Uncle Cy is the crazy uncle. Now, let's be honest. All of us in this room, we have a crazy uncle. And if you're thinking to yourself, no, I don't have a crazy uncle, then you are the crazy uncle, okay? That's how that works, is if you don't have a crazy uncle, you are the crazy uncle. So you've got Cy, who's his own thing over there. Then you've got, you've got sweet Miss Kay, right, who just loves to cook, and she's so in love with Phil, and she's sort of the mother figure on the show, warm and welcoming, always got something to eat when you get there. And you got Phil, who's the patriarch of the family, and he's trying, to, he's trying to keep everybody on the right track. And so he's got to deal with Willie in one way, and he's got to deal with Jace in another, and Jep in another, and Alan, who you never see on the show, right? Alan, Alan's a preacher, it turns out, and he doesn't even have a beard, and he's in the family, but he's there, and, and Phil is working to keep all of these different personalities on track, keep them all focused, and to keep their kids, his grandkids, focused on what matters most in life. And one of the very best scenes in every episode of the show is at the very end, and you guys, if you've you've seen the show, you got to watch all the way to the credits. Because in the credits, after everything that's happened during the day, all of the crazy things that happen in the Robertson's life, at the end of the day, whether they agree with one another or they disagree with one another, whether they're happy or they're sad, they're hurting, they all sit down at the table together. They all sit down. Can you show the picture of, yeah, that's the Robertson family at the table. Now, you might be thinking, well, not all those people are Robertsons. Yeah, that, you're exactly right. And you got John Godwin and you got, you know, so many people from the business that come and have dinner with them at the end of the show. And it's this, The scene that sort of says, you know, if you're part of our family, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened, you're welcome to come and sit down at this table with us and have a meal. Here at this place, you're accepted. Here in this place, we love you even though you're crazy, Uncle Cy. You know, it's been said that the family that prays together stays together. That's a cliche thing, right? That's a very cliche thing. The family that prays together stays together. And, and there's some truth to that. But I think there's even more truth to this idea that the family that eats together stays together. 
The family that gathers around the table together is the family that stays together and the family that stays the strongest. Families that eat together, uh, their kids tend to do better in school. Did you know this? That if you eat at the dinner table together, your children will do better in school. It's because you give them some accountability at the table. I know this because I grew up in a family where we all ate dinner together and mom and dad wanted to know what happened in our day. And that included our grades. And so (laughs) children that eat together with their parents around the table, they actually do better in school. There's all sorts of studies out there about table fellowship, about sitting down at the dinner table together and what it can do for your family, for your relationship with your kids, for your relationship with your husband or, or with your wife. The table's important. It's an important place. I can remember growing up in, in our house um, in Richmond Hill, we had a round table. And I'm sure it was you know, just one of these generic tables that you could buy at, at any store. It's just a, just a round dinner table. And I would sit across from my brother. Um, and the reason I had to sit across from my brother is because it was dangerous to let us sit beside each other. So my my parents sat between us. So I sat across from my brother, Brian, and my dad sat to my right and my mom sat to my left. And every night we would wait for everybody to get home to eat dinner. Now, some families, they eat dinner at five o'clock and that's just, that's your pattern of life. And that's great. Some families, you're like six o'clock on the dot. Um, We waited until everybody was home. And so some nights that meant we didn't eat dinner until like 8 or 8.15 or 8.30 sometimes because not everybody was there. But my parents thought it's so important for us to get around this table because here at the table, we know just who you are. Here at this table, you're accepted. Here at this table, you're welcomed and you're reminded of who you are and what you're to be about in this world. Families that pray together stay together, but families that eat together take on a different shape. That's why it's so important that we do things like Wednesday night supper here at the church. Just to sit around the table and to let our guards down and check up on one another. To say, what's going on in your life? I've got all kind of stuff going on in mine. What's going on in your life? How can I get to know you better so that we can know one another more fully and grow in relationship together? I grew up eating around the table but that table transformed some. You know, on, at, at dinner, it was the dinner table. But on certain nights during the month, it was the table that my parents paid bills on. Do, do your parents ever do this? Like back when you had to write checks? My parents had stacks of paper and stuff on the dinner table. And they, we would all sit down and my parents would write checks. And the dinner table was transformed. But the table was important, Right? Other times, it was my brother and I huddled over, you know, math books because my brother and I, we read really well, but we're terrible with numbers and terrible with math. And so uh, we would sit down and do math homework with my dad who loved math um, and just got it, which we, we never got it. But he would help us at the table and mom would talk because she's really good with words and <laughs> really good with reading like we were. That table, it transformed our family and it transformed each and every one of us. But the reason it was so powerful and the reason that table was so transformative is because at that table, we were all welcome in spite of our differences, in spite of the ways that my brother and I, um, you know, worked against each other or competed with one another, in spite of all of the stuff that might have happened at work or at school, at that table, we were invited and we were accepted and we were welcomed. We were welcomed. We were allowed to be ourselves. 
The text we're going to be looking at this morning is from Luke chapter 22, and it starts at verse 14, and it goes all the way through verse 20. And, and what you have here in this text um, is Jesus' last um, encounter with his disciples, his last moments with his disciples when he was on earth. And what's happening here in this moment is Jesus has gathered all of them together for one last meal. And so this is the, the story we get of Jesus in that, hour, in, in that last few hours. It says there that when the hour came, he took his place, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him, that's the disciples. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, he took a, a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that I, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said to them, this is my body which is given for you, do this, break this bread again, in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after the meal. This cup that is poured out for you is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. At the table, at that table with the disciples, those, those first followers of Jesus, Jesus takes ordinary bread and ordinary wine and he transforms it into something new and something different. He transforms it into something that is not only physically nourishing, but spiritually nourishing as well. Jesus takes ordinary bread, regular old bread and regular old wine, and he transforms it into something that gives us life that truly is life. It gives us a glimpse, gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God might end up looking like. And Christ invites every single one of us to come to that table and to sit with him, not only to receive these ordinary things that have been transformed, but to also find ourselves transformed. Isn't that just what Jesus does for us? He takes ordinary people like you and like me with all of our quirks, with all of our weirdness, with all of our anxiety, with all of our hurts, with all of our pain, with all of our joy and all of our celebration, with all of our stuff, Jesus takes all of who we are and he asks us to come, to come and sit with him, that we might not only be one in Christ, but that you and I might be transformed as well. So what I want you to hear this morning in this place is that some days you might feel like Uncle Cy, like nobody gets you, like you live in your own world and nobody understands. Or someday you might feel like Willie who feels stuck in the office, I'm sure, occasionally, wishing he could be out there hunting with his brothers. Or maybe you feel like Jace, and you're looking for meaning or purpose, or maybe you just feel like Jeff, who's the, you know, the, the baby brother that gets doted on too much. But wherever you are, whatever you've been through, 
Jesus invites you to come and sit down at the dinner table with him. To eat this bread, to drink this wine, and to remember what family we're a part of. Because at this table, at this table of grace, at this table of mercy, at this table of hope, we find our identity. And we find our meaning. And we find our purpose in this world. And we take hold of life that truly is life as we're transformed from ordinary to extraordinary in Jesus.